Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's try to wrap up this section on uh, marriage, on husbands and wives this morning. So Ephesians uh, chapter 5. And once you found that, hopefully your Bible falls right open to it. If you'd be so kind as to stand with me as we read in the 22nd verse. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. And hopefully today, good Lord willing, we'll close out this section. It reads like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, this morning, take your word, bring it alive in our heart. I ask that you make very little of me and very much of you that you may be glorified in this place. This we pray in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. If you've been with us the last couple of three weeks or taken the opportunity to listen on, listen on the internet to the messages, you know for about three weeks now, we've been addressing this, this marriage issue that Paul brings up here in Ephesians. Remember, he has taken the theology of three chapters, put it into application in our lives. And this is the first place that he has actually made this application a joint venture. And he's done that in marriage. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that God placed the institution of marriage in place back at the beginning of time. And it's that institution that is addressing here, not the individuals in it so much. Yes, the individual parts are addressed, but it's for the unity within that marriage that he's bringing this message to us. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started on the section talking about God's plan. We looked at God's plan two weeks in a row, first from the angle of the wife, then from the angle of the husband. If you remember, we talked about the fact that God's plan said that he made man and woman in his own image. So man and woman were made in equal dignity before God, yet they were giving separate responsibilities within uh, creation and most particular within the marriage. Wives, it says there in the 22nd verse, are to submit to their husbands, and it says as to the Lord. It moves down to verse 25. It says, husbands, you are to love your wives. And he, he puts a footnote with it and says, just as Christ loved the church. So why then is it so difficult to accept God's plan? That's, that's the big elephant in the room. If that's the plan, why is it so difficult to accept the plan? There's an answer. There's an answer that comes in three letters. The answer is sin. See, the real reason that it's difficult to accept the plan is because sin has come into the world. See, society today has tried to redefine marriage uh, for us and how that marriage is to be lived out. It's no longer socially acceptable to say that marriage is between one man and one woman. 
It's no longer socially acceptable to even say that the intimacy designed to be given within marriage is, is to stay there. Now it's, it's open game as far as society is concerned. See, it's no longer socially acceptable that say marriage is even for life any longer. See, it's no longer even socially acceptable to say that a husband is the head and that a, a wife should submit to his headship. None of those things are socially acceptable. Yet we see in God's plan that that's the way God designed it. See, we see God say that uh, no matter what the world says that marriage is, I happen to believe that the creator of marriage has the right to say how marriage should be lived out. The one who put it in place knows best how it is to be done. And, And God has given us rules. He's given us an outline. He's given us a guide to this this marriage. And Paul here addresses that. See, today, the world's turned God's plan for marriage upside down. They've completely reversed what God put into place. You may stop and ask yourself, I thought about it. When did that happen? Was it 100 years ago? Was it 50 years ago? Was it 25 years ago? Was it it even in, in, in the last decade? And the more I thought about God's marriage plan being turned upside down, the more I realize that it hasn't been in the last hundred years. It was a long time ago that the marriage has been flipped upside down. And that's why Paul puts such emphasis on this creation marriage. I titled this series of sermons, Getting Back to Creation Marriage. And see, Paul understood what creation marriage is. He understood the importance of creation marriage And he also understood the attack on creation marriage. And what was that attack? It was sin. It was sin that attacked. See, sin came into this world through Satan's attack on God's plan for marriage. Have you ever thought about that? Sin entered creation by Satan attacking God's creation of marriage. Let's look together today. This morning at Satan's perversion. We looked at God's plan for marriage. Let's look at Satan's perversion of creation marriage. In in Ephesians 5.32, Paul wrote this. He said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul tells us that he's about to reveal to us this this mystery. And what is the mystery? (laughs) Uh, The mystery, in all honesty, is, is how marriage... How marriage is a beautiful picture of the union between Christ and his church. See, the marriage is this beautiful picture of this union of a bride and a bridegroom. And this union between Christ and the church takes place because he came to redeem us from sin. And this this picture that's painted, this mystery that he's throwing out is saying, hey, this marriage is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. Genesis 3 actually gives us what happened with marriage. You see, this union between Christ and the church does take place because of sin. And Genesis chapter 3 leads us into how this sin attacked creation. 
So flip back with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to read it. I'm just going to walk through it with you. Hopefully you know this story, but I'm going to assume maybe there's some things in it you haven't seen. And I want to point that out to you this morning. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? This signifies to me that Satan understood God's plan in marriage. Satan absolutely knew what God's plan was, that the man was to be the head of the marriage. How do we know that? <laughs> we know that he understood that man was to be the head. We know that he understood that woman was to be submissive to that authority, that headship. But notice that Satan starts his attack on God's structure in the marriage a very certain way. He doesn't go to the man. He doesn't go to the head of marriage and say, has God indeed said? No, that's not where Satan starts his attack. He goes to the woman. He goes to the one who is being submissive to the head. He intentionally circumvents God's structure and goes directly to the woman. And he asks her a question that it was, quite frankly, man's responsibility to answer. See, man had been given this responsibility to answer this question. And he asked her that question that man should have been there to answer. So we see that Satan had this attack, this plan of attack, and it came at the structure of what the marriage was. But we also see man's dereliction of his duty. I find it very interesting. If you read all of those verses, the first five, matter of fact, after uh, verse one, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, well, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you notice anything that's missing from the first five verses as Satan interacts with woman and gets her to sin? Do you notice anything that happens to be missing out of all those? After I read it several times, it became very obvious what was missing. Who's not mentioned? Man. Man's nowhere to be found in the first five verses. Of the fall. It's only Satan and the woman. Where is man in all of this was the question that I had to ask myself. All the thing I could figure, he was on the sideline disregarding what God had instructed him to do, quite frankly. He was standing by the wayside, not getting involved. God had placed him as the head, the leader, the provider, the protector of woman and the family. In all reality, the leader, the guide, or protector of all of creation. But where was he? Yet when it was time to lead, when it was time to provide, when it was time to, perfect, to protect, man was nowhere to be found. Here stood woman and Satan and man somewhere on the sideline. Had they had Xbox at that time, I might have been able to affirmatively say he was at home playing Xbox on the TV while his wife was out doing something. Because that would relate to today's world now, wouldn't it? <laughs> but we just know that he was somewhere on the sideline. Satan's attack should have been headed off at the pass by man doing what God had instructed him to do. If you remember back in that second chapter, back in the second chapter in verses 15 through 17, he said this to man. He said, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden uh, of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord 
God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Do you see the words that were given as instruction to man that Satan used with woman to cause her to fall? I don't know if you happen to know, if you've even studied or if you've even paid attention, but that phrase that I just read you, that part of creation I just read you, was before woman was ever formed from the rib of man. The instruction to not eat of the tree was placed firmly upon the shoulders of man. Yet when the attack came, man was nowhere to be found. (laughs) He told him that you should not eat of that tree of good and evil. He also told him that the penalty to eat from that tree was death. You see, up until this time, there had been no death penalty. Yet here God lays the death penalty at the feet of man and says, if you allow this to happen, death enters. And when death stuck its head in the door, man was nowhere to be found. You see, we not only saw Satan's plan of attack on the the unity of marriage, the institution of marriage. We saw man's dereliction in his duty to the wife in marriage. But we also see woman's usurping of man's authority in this attack. You see, woman was approached by Satan in the garden. She was being tempted to sin. (laughs) She was being tempted to sin against God, who had created her and placed her under man's authority. She was also sinning against man, who was given the authority over her by God. See, in Genesis 3, 2, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. (laughs) Instead of referring Satan and his question to the authority, the one given the headship, she attempts to answer Satan. Instead of saying, man, where are you? I need you. You're the authority in this. I need you to step forward. She attempts to take that authority role in her own hands. Her first statement in verse 2 is pretty accurate. Whenever she says, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. That's a true statement. He said you could eat of the fruit of the trees. She goes on to say, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said. And she's truthful again, saying there is this one tree that there's an issue with. And she goes on to elaborate with a second statement, which quite frankly is a lie. She says, he said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. I read to you the instruction given to Adam. Did you see in the instruction given to Adam that they could not even touch the tree? Sure, it may have been implied, but it was not said of God. She made a statement that was very truthful in her attempt to take the authority position, but then she also committed a sin when she lied. The first place that she stepped out of range was turning the authority upside down. The first place that Adam stepped out of range or out of order was giving that authority over to his wife. And then it led to her lying. The first place that we see a lie appear in Scripture is right here. In creation. Three chapters in. Three chapters in. In an attempt to confront Satan on her own, she had 
in fact, fallen into sin. And as sin often does, it blinds our spiritual eyes. One sin starts causing the eyes to see less spiritually and more worldly. We notice that because in in verse 4, Satan looks at her and says, You will not surely die, for, for God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan realizes that he can convince her to know that she's going to see things that God has been hiding from her. Satan now feels at liberty to throw out his own lie. To throw out his own lie at her and at the man, at the family, the marriage unit. And it says in verse 6 that woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took its fruit and she ate. Literally, the woman bit the lie that Satan had just thrown at her feet. She picked up the fruit and, and she ate. But notice that it didn't stop there. <laughs> See, as sin often does, it starts really small. Once you get away with a small one, you add to it. Once you add to it and you get away with it, you add another. <laughs> and notice what happened there. It says in the very last part of verse 6, So she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. See where their entire authority structure had been turned upside down? Satan knew where to attack. He bypassed the head. He went to the woman. He got the woman to sin, to tell a lie. He inserts another lie. The woman bites the lie. And what happens next? Man dives in head first. He didn't dive in being blinded. He had been told by God what not to do. Don't think he was drug in, kicking and screaming. I think as he was standing on the sideline, he was waiting his turn. It wasn't that he was drug into this sin. He waded in happily with his bathing suit on to the deep end of the pool, ready to go. She now took over the role not only of authority in the marriage, now she took over the role of provider in the marriage. Because now she was providing for him instead of him providing for her. The amazing thing is, this man submitted without even an argument or a question. He just stepped right in. So this then moved from Satan's attack to man's dereliction of his duty, from woman's usurping of man's authority, and then it leads to God's curse on man and woman, on creation, on marriage, because of this sin. This is the important part that leads us to why Paul wrote what he did in the book of Ephesians. See, in Genesis 3.16, we'll start by looking first at God's curse on the woman. What happened in John 3.16? It says this, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Because of woman's sin now, childbirth was going to be painful. I can only imagine the women uprising against her saying, Why in the world would you have done this to us? I personally have not given birth to a kid. I just want to let you know that right up front, throw it right out on the table. But I have been present. As a matter of fact, as the story goes, I will not validate it so that you do not dislike Wendy, but I do know that there have been men bitten in the birthing room. I happen to be one of those. So it's very obvious if you've ever been at the birthing of a child, it is not a walk in the park. <laughs> God said, okay, you wanted to take the reins. 
You wanted to be authority. You wanted to be provider. One of the things that I've given you as your role in marriage, which was the giving of life to expanding on those who would live on this earth, to go out and multiply those on the earth, that thing that I had given you as a beautiful thing will now cause you much pain. Not only in the birthing process, but in the years to follow. Got to get an amen. <laughs> you know, just giving birth to the child is not the most painful place that, that birthing a child happens. I happen to have some that are growing up that should be adults by now, but we are just not sure that's ever going to happen. Of course, the wife says the same thing about me. But now suddenly this, this curse came in, in childbirth. But there's a, a more important curse that came with woman that directly relates to what Paul wrote to us in Ephesians. It's the second part of that 16th verse when it says, Your desire shall be for your husband. Keep in mind that anything that comes as a curse because of sin cannot be how it was designed before or else it would not be a curse. So what is meant by desire? Since it's a curse, we know it's got to be something different than anything that was before the fall. And God had made woman in such a way that she was going to be man's completer in his life, his helpmate, as many of your versions say. And because of this, she would have naturally had a physical desire for man. So the curse couldn't be that she was now going to have that physical desire. That was already in place before the fall. And because God had set him as the head and, and she was to be the helpmate, his, his headship wasn't going to be a problem. She was going to desire for that leadership in her life before the fall. So it couldn't be that suddenly he was going to be the head. He was already the head. So the curse then must be that her desire for her husband was a desire for his position. We see that because of the fall. See, what did she do in the fall? She took the authority position and she took the provider position. The two things given to man. So now the curse was going to be on woman that she would desire to be the authority, that she would desire to be in the position. You see, and, and the sin that had happened was she was going to usurp the authority of man. And by usurping the authority of man, God was going to place a curse that that would be the desire of her heart for days to come. Do we see that in the world we live in today? I think so. It's a thing called women's rights. It's a thing called women's rights. I... I have yet to see a march where women are demanded that men do their job and take care of them. <laughs> I have yet to see a march where women get out in the street and say, men are sorry rascals because they're not doing the things they're supposed to do and providing for me and protecting me. They're in the street marching saying that I don't want a man to protect me. I can do that for myself. Do you see the curse? Do you see the curse that's laid on woman? And that's exactly where the world is today. The world says that it's degrading for a woman to submit to a man, that a woman has every right to lead, that it's archaic even to think that man would be the head and woman would be submissive. That's the world we live in today. Yet that's not God's world. See, that's not God's plan. God's plan the whole time was for the authority to be set squarely on the shoulders of the man, for the man to do his job so that the woman could be a helpmate and do her job. Yet man has dropped the ball and the world has turned upside down. So we see that curse on woman, but you know what? Man didn't slip out. 
Man also had a curse. The second thing we see is the curse on man, starting there in the 17th verse, when it says this, Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's pretty obvious what the first curse was laid on man's shoulders. For his participation in it no longer was this earth, this ground that, that God had made to provide and to give up its, its fruit for man. No longer was it going to be easy. <laughs> How many of you have a garden with all the rain that's going on right now? Isn't everything just growing wonderfully in your garden, including the thorns and the thistles and the weeds? Do you realize, I believe, if Adam had never bit into the lie, you'd have been able to just plant it, walk out and pick it, and you wouldn't have had to struggle so hard. Would there still be tending? Absolutely, because he said that we were to tend the ground. But would you have had to fight off the briar bushes? Even the mosquitoes. I think the mosquitoes came in the fall. They've got to be of the devil. But do you realize that this fall calls this ground, as it says there in verse 18, the thorns and thistles it's now going to bring forth. Could you see the Garden of Eden? How beautiful it must have been with everything flourishing. And now God says, intermingle with that. It's going to be something that's going to cause you work and pain and toil. But there's another question that comes to my mind. I realize he says he cursed the ground. We see that in our daily life. But why? What was, what was Adam's problem? What was man's problem? I think he addresses that pretty solidly for us there in the 17th verse. When he says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Whose voice should Adam have been listening to? God. Adam just backs up where he was in the first five voice verses of the chapter. He was listening not to God. Not to God's instruction to him. He was listening to the voice of his wife. I know even as I say that, some women just got mad at me. <laughs> but that's God's plan. God's plan is for man to hear the voice of God. To provide for, lead, and direct his wife to grow more like Christ. Therefore, closer to God. It is man's responsibility to lead the woman both physically in provision and spiritually in her growth. It gives me chills every time I think about it. Because I can look very quickly and tell what kind of job I'm doing when I see how my wife is growing more to be like Christ or less to be like Christ. Man, it's not hard. It's not hard to see if we've also done as Adam and bit the lie. You see, because he's called us to lead both physically and spiritually. Why is the world in the shape it is today? I firmly believe it's because man has taken a back seat listened to the voice of his wife and quit listening to the voice of God and has not walked her down the path of sanctification towards glorification to be like Jesus Christ. If man would step up and do what God's called him to do, the marriage would be fixed in this world. And through the marriage, the world would see Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church and come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Why did Paul write what he wrote? Because marriage had been turned upside down. Marriage had been completely turned upside down. What was the result of, of 
man listening to his wife. What was the ultimate curse that was going to be heavy upon man? Yes, woman had the, the pain in, in childbirth, but her real heavy curse that she would bear was the desire to take over authority. We see man here is going to be cursed in his work. His labor is going to be uh, uh, multiplied in just gaining from the ground those things to provide. Yet there's more to the curse. It actually starts at the end of verse 16 when it says, and he shall rule over you or over her. See, that's actually a statement about the curse that's placed upon man. Because instead of it being, as Paul said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now because of the curse, we have men treating women as if they're material items. See, it was never designed for a woman to be possessed by a man as you would possess a truck or a car or a tractor. It was to be a loving bondage relationship in one body. Yet because of the curse now, as man decides he's going to rule over woman, and she's trying to take my authority, I'm now going to rule with an iron fist. Instead of it being a loving exchange, a growing exchange to be more like Christ, now it becomes an authority figure over someone. You want to know why we have the problems we have in marriage? It's because men don't love their wives as Christ loved the church, and women don't submit to their husbands as to Jesus Christ himself as to the Lord. You see, in, in one sense, the ruling over is absolutely correct because that's the way it was set up in marriage. Man was to rule, but what he was never made to do is rule as a master over a woman. It was made to be a loving relationship that showed Jesus Christ to the world. Yet today that's been Turned completely upside down. Man was going to now forcefully rule over woman. And I think this explains a lot in our society today. Those who choose not to follow God's plan choose to follow the curse and stay in the curse. They treat women as property. They abuse them and they mistreat them. And we wind up with a society like we have today. Now it makes sense to me that Paul would be so forward in what he says. In Ephesians, when I look at what happened to marriage and what Paul's saying marriage should be, it makes perfect sense to me. Because I look at the world today and realize most of the world doesn't understand God's plan for marriage. Therefore does not enact God's plan for marriage. And therefore marriage has been turned completely upside down in our world. What God had created to glorify himself, Satan had attacked to dishonor God. And he did it by attacking the structure of what God had set up. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? We could leave the story right there. We could say, this is what happened. Woe is me. What are we going to do about it? Thankfully, God in his mercy and his grace, when he placed a curse upon man, woman, creation, and Satan, he gave us an answer to it all. You see, we've seen God's plan. We've seen Satan's perversion. Now let's look at Christ's preeminence in the last few minutes that we have together. Paul's given us the structure of marriage there in Ephesians. Whenever he wrote in Ephesians to us, he, he wrote that there is a particular structure. And when he came down to that verse 32, he said, This is a great mystery. And marriage itself was not the mystery. The mystery followed whenever he says, 
I speak concerning Christ and the church. When you first read that, you think there's a disconnect, that he's changing subjects. It is actually not. He said everything he said about marriage to get to this point. This is the point of what he wants to say. He says, I want to reveal this mystery of Christ and the church. He follows it in 33 when he says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects or honors her husband. God in his mercy and grace provides an answer to the curse of sin in our lives. And it's the answer to the curse of sin in our lives that is the answer to the curse of sin in our marriages. It's the same answer. He promises that there will be a seed that will be in opposition to Satan. Back in Ephesians, I mean back in Genesis chapter 3, we skipped over the curse that was on uh, Satan himself. But it's kind of interesting that in the curse on Satan, God gives us the answer to the curse in marriage. In that section, the 15th verse of chapter 3 of Genesis, he says this. After he has told Satan, you're going to be on your belly, you're going to eat dust, you're going to do it all the days of your life, he says this to him. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, it says Satan will attack and wound the seed. Satan will attack and wound the seed. But it's interesting. The use of the word heal there tells us that the wound is not mortal. It is not something that leads to death. It is a temporary injury. Because he says there the seed then will bruise Satan's head, will bruise your head. You'd have to agree an injury to your heel and an injury to your head is treated very differently when you show up at the emergency room for a reason. If you fall and bruise your heel, they may take a few x-rays and put you in a cast. If you fall and bruise your head, what are they going to do to you? They're going to run you through the CAT scan. They're going to do all kinds of tests. They're going to check and make sure your eyes focus, that you can move all your limbs. There's a reason. Because a bruise to your head can be mortal. And what it says here is the seed of woman that is to come, Satan, is going to bruise your head. By using the word head, he signifies the mortality of that injury. The seed will ultimately defeat Satan. Ultimately defeat. He will no longer, Satan will no longer be able to attack God's children, or more particularly in our case, the marriage. The seed that was mentioned here, it says, will come from woman. I find it very easy, uh, interesting as a side note. I'll throw it out. It says it will come by woman, which actually is a proclamation of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It says that it is telling us there's going to be this physical person that comes. That kind of wipes out a lot of religions, in my opinion, that don't see Jesus as God, as the seed that came. They say he was a great prophet. They say he was this and he was that. Yet the first proclamation of the gospel, Genesis 3.15, by the way, even tells us he's going to be born of a woman. Notice it doesn't say man and woman. It says woman. It speaks of that virgin birth. Yet this physical person, it says, is going to have this spiritual battle with Satan. The seed then that is mentioned there is none other than Jesus Christ. Both fully God and fully man. Willing to step out of the portals of heaven to take on a physical body in this world to show us the example of what it means to 
to be holy, to give us that example, and not only to give us the example, but to die upon a cross as our spotless lamb because of the sin in our life. See, the entire gospel is presented there in a few short verses. See, so when Paul speaks of this great mystery, (laughs) this great mystery of Christ in the church, he's painting this picture of Christ's death and our forgiveness because of that death. When he says there's this great mystery, he's painting this picture. And he's actually relating this to marriage. He's actually connecting your marriage to Christ in the church. Have you ever thought that your marriage is connected to Christ in the church? For some, that just brought you great sorrow. (laughs) For others, hopefully it brought you great joy. Because the picture of your marriage should be a picture of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If the picture of your marriage is not what it should be, I would dare say your relationship with Jesus Christ is not what it should be. Because this marriage unit should be a glorious picture of Christ. He's relating this to the marriage and that the marriage is the institution set up by God that Satan attacked to bring sin into the world that caused Christ to come and die for that sin. You see, this picture of marriage all the way back from Genesis is what caused Christ to have to come to die for our sins because there's where sin entered the world. And it entered through Satan's attack on that structure. You may say, why are we spending so much time on marriage? I hope now it's obvious. I hope now it's obvious. Because it was the attack on marriage that caused Christ to have to outstretch his arms on a cross for your sins. How important is marriage to God? So important that he would send his only begotten son to die upon a cross for your sins. So when Paul says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and husbands love your wife as Christ Love the church. He's reminding us that God set up the marriage to be a reflection of His glory and that it represents what Christ has done for the church. So I don't know about you, but I think it's time we get back to creation marriage. And where does it start? Right here in the church. We can't expect the world to do something we're not willing to do. But the question is how do we do this? Very quickly in closing. First and foremost, by recognizing our failure in our marriages. By recognizing our failure, not our wife's failure, our failure in our marriages. Recognizing we have not done it as God has designed. By by then coming to God and asking forgiveness of that sin. And then by repenting of that sin and living life as God has instructed us. Will it be easy? No. Because you'll be exactly opposite of what the world tells you. Will people think you're crazy? Absolutely. But let me remind you, the world also thought Jesus was crazy. And he told us that the world would hate us if we did that which he told us to do. How do we know it would hate us? Because it first hated him. So much that even when they couldn't find anything to kill him for, they made it up and killed him anyway. See, Jesus himself said, to live the life that I'm asking you to live will put you in direct opposition to the majority of those around you. Remember, there is a narrow road. To live the creation marriage places you on the narrow road. There is going to be a wide road filled full of those who think the narrow road is crazy. But never forget, 
what is at the end of those two roads? The narrow road leads to the very feet of your Savior died upon a cross for your sins. The wide road will lead to Jesus, but not as Savior, as judge. And the end of that wide road will ultimately be the lake of fire. The place that you will spend all of eternity if you have not trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do you want to be in the center of God's will? Let it start within your marriage. For some, you may say, I'm no longer married. My husband or my wife has gone on. That doesn't change the responsibility that the Bible gives us to teach those that follow us the proper way. See, we are still instructed. Even if we've been through the season of marriage in our life, maybe our spouse has left. We are to take those that follow and teach them this. This is to be the conversation. Older ladies, you are to teach younger ladies. Older men, you are to instruct the younger men what it means to be a creation marriage. And this actually all starts in our own marriages. By every one of us, it says, in particular, so loving our wives as we love ourselves. And by wives, seeing that you respect your husbands. By doing this, we bring glory to God and we show the world what Christ has done. By having a creation marriage, we show the world Jesus Christ. That he came to remove the curse of sin by his death upon a cross. Is your marriage pointing others around you to your Jesus? Is your marriage showing your neighbors who your Jesus is? If not, this morning, know God will forgive you of your shortcomings and will walk with you on that narrow road as you grow in your creation marriage. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.